Welcome to the 75th episode of the Game 4 Podcast. In this episode, we'll talk about world building in tabletop games. I'm Adam. And I'm Matt. And this is the Game 4 Podcast. Game 4 is a platform to help connect tabletop gamers and to help you get more out of your tabletop gaming. Matt and I are part of a software development and design company called Milkcan, and because most of the folks at Milkcan love tabletop games, we developed the Game 4 app and launched it in early 2018. We launched this companion podcast in June 2019 to help tabletop gamers get more enjoyment out of their hobby. Due to the COVID-19 global pandemic, we hibernated the Game 4 app in July of 2020 and plan to bring back a retooled version of the app for Android, iOS, and web when gaming in person is safer. Until then, we'll keep bringing you this podcast to help you get more out of your tabletop gaming. I, uh, what have I been doing tabletop gaming-wise? What have I been getting yeah. out of my tabletop gaming? Um, well, actually, what have you been getting out of your tabletop gaming? That's what I should ask. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, let's see. Um, I think when we last spoke, mm-hmm. I was just starting the... Um, well, I mean, it's not the last time we spoke. Well, the last time... We spoke here on the podcast. Yes. Yeah. Um, I was getting my um, house constructed uh, for my terrain. Not your for, actual house, but like no, piece, yeah. yeah, it's a train piece uh, from Black Sight Studios, mm-hmm. um, MDF. Yeah, so I've made a lot more progress on it. Um, I have like the exterior, um, like final touches for like one floor. I think is all I have left. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's done. And this is called the the Ball Residence, B A A L, something yep. like that, and it's like a big. Like, how big is it, would you say, just if you're going to get all imperial measurement? Oh, know, imperial measurement? Oh, right. sweet. Uh, I don't know how meters work. I mean, I generally get the I idea. would say probably like a foot by a foot by a foot, like cube. So it's like a foot cube, basically, yeah, like this whole thing when it's supposed to be yeah, done. It's a, it's a good size. Yeah, it's a good size piece. Yeah, absolutely. And it's got three floors, and yeah, they all come, uh, the, they pop off and mm-hmm. kind of so that you can do gaming by floor and everything. Nice, yeah. nice, yeah, yeah. I have a tendency to, I got to be honest, whenever I have a terrain piece that is like, oh, and you've got, you can take the roof off and then you can play on the inside. I'm always like, no, I just don't want to. I, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, it's, I can't think of a game, more often than not for me, I just want to paint the thing and have it be like a piece that you have to get around or whatever. But different people, you know, I, I like the fact that there are a lot of companies out there that also do think about the insides. Yeah, this one, I, I think I'll... Uh, Based on what I'm going to use it for, I think I'll use the inside, and because it's what are you planning to use it for? Oh, for uh, don't turn don't, back, don't look back, yep, don't look yep, back. Yep. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, so because of the exploring and stuff of the creepy house, I mm-hmm. think that, I makes, think that it does makes sense. make a lot of sense. That's a very good point. So thematically, I, I'm going to use it, uh, but yeah, most of the time I'm just like, yeah, it's it's a house. I'm, and yeah, it's just usually there. the games that I'm usually playing are dudes shooting dudes and that kind of stuff. Right. So yeah. Or is this? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta, you gotta explore the creepy house. Yeah, don't, don't look back. Is like a horror themed game, yep. kind of based off of movies, where you have this one kind of bad yep. actor, uh, not necessarily an actor, but you see what I'm saying, like a, you know, a Freddy or Jason type, right? Uh, you know, and then everyone else is trying to not die. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So for uh, TMX, I am planning on doing a Pennywise um, nice. layout with uh, that as the house. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have been. Looking at uh, some three D printed uh, terrain for uh, sewers. Nice, cool. So I'm trying to, yeah. I, my plan is to build a modular gr- 
area that uh, they can explore the sewers, mm-hmm. and we'll have the street and then the house and stuff like that. So it's all kind of connected. Very cool. Yeah. And then yeah, for don't for don't look back. You have to have like uh, token markers of where the where the uh, bad guy can spawn. So mm-hmm. I'll make uh, little balloons on you know. Oh, 3D print like balloons? 3D printed balloons. Oh, that's pretty cool. Sitting around and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah I've, I've, I've started putting together a lot of stuff in my head and some sketches and stuff, and mm-hmm. I'm getting pretty excited about it. So. Nice. Oh, that sounds very cool. Uh, for those of you who don't know, TMX is the Tabletop Minions Expo. It's the little tiny mini, very small convention that I have in the past run, uh, you know, here. Um, in uh, the University of Wisconsin, Oshkosh, uh, not here. That's not where we're at right now, but you know what I'm saying. Yep. Um, and we're doing it again this year. We haven't been able to do it the last couple because of the COVIDs, and we're going to give it a try. So, But it's Yay. real small. Like 2019, there were maybe 80 people there. It's a very small event. Yeah, it looks like 100, but we're yeah, usually a pretty good group that goes, and yeah, everybody yeah, no, kind of has fun, fun learning it's, new games. And... Yeah, there's no tournaments. There's no competitions. It's just all sit down and learn how to play new games, demos, and stuff like that. So it's mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Well, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, definitely. Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited for that. Um, definitely will share pictures and stuff as I, I get mm-hmm. going on that. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, the other thing was I finally got around to cleaning up uh, my hobby and print space. Ah, yes. So, because nice. um, it was getting cluttered for, is a is a nice way to putting that. I have no idea what you mean by that. I know. Yeah, um, I've never I've never lived in clutter my entire life at all. Yeah, like I bought the brand new uh, cure and wash station for Elegoo, like the mm-hmm. the big one, Mercury X bundle or whatever. Where yeah, it's yeah. Like, and like washes the, uh, the the prints and also then hits them with the UV. Yeah, it's like a gi- giant UV thing. Mm-hmm. Hadn't used it. It was just sitting basically in the box. So sure. I finally plugged that in and started using it. And oh my gosh, it's amazing. I don't know anything about owning 3D printing equipment and not using it. I don't, <laughs> it's, it's very strange. I, it's, it's all very the, foreign. Like the original one, you could only run for nine minutes, I think, at mm-hmm. a time, which was For really the light or for the washing thing? The light. Weird. It like, that was, was I, I don't know why. Yeah, because you, you like what is warm. the general? Yeah, I suppose it gets warm. I get that, but like, what's the general recommended for like the amount of UV curing that you need on a piece? I have yet to find anyone that actually like will tell me. So <laughs> nobody knows. All right. So I'm guessing like like for me, I found that maybe like, it's nine minutes. It, that, that was kind of I'm like, but for me, I found that like that fifteen ish minute range seems to work well. Mm-hmm. So I put a whole bunch of stuff on it last night, like almost two build plates full. Um, and ran it, and everything seemed really good uh, in the morning. Whereas a lot of times I'll have to like shift and adjust them, and like mm-hmm. so that the light hits them differently. But this one's got the light on underneath them, and then two oh uh, nice two giant towers uh, yeah, versus yeah, yeah. the one with mirrors. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it seems like it worked really well. Mm, that's cool. And then you could do this one up to like thirty minutes or something like that. So oh nice, that's very cool too. I. I have a little UV flashlight, mm-hmm. which is, is a good idea also from what I understand yep. for these things. But I was messing with it a couple nights ago. And I was like, <clears throat> I was in the bathroom looking for, because we have a, a litter box in there. So mm. I'm like, hey, I should look around and like do a little bit of CSI and oh. look and see if the cats have been peeing like in weird places or anything yeah, like yeah. that. And that's when I discovered that the linoleum in the bathroom, all of it is completely UV reactive. Like... Like I, I was like, I'm, I'm trying to find spots, but when I shine on it, the entire floor lights up, it and it's could not be the cleaning product. Well, no, because then there's another piece. This is the weird thing oh. about it. So I, because I thought that too. I'm like, yeah. oh well, maybe it's the cleaning product that does yeah, it, but yeah. it's only in the pattern. 
Ooh. So like there's a pattern oh, and then yeah, the part yeah. in between the pattern doesn't do that. And then also, and this is the weirdest thing, to the human eye, the patch that's in the back hall when you go from the bathroom into the, it looks the same. Yeah. But none of that entire piece fluoresces like that. So Weird. it's, they either found the same pattern that has a completely different like material that it's made out of, or I don't know what, but when you just look at it and like, those look like two pieces, but I can see the seam, so the, and then you shine the, the light on it and the bathroom is lit up and the hallway is not. It's so weird. If you shine it from a different direction. I like, tried that too. Yeah. No. I thought maybe it had been rotated 180 yeah, yeah, degrees. Yeah. yeah. No, no. It's just so weird. I don't know. Oh, that's odd. But you just talking about the fluorescent light made yeah, me think yeah. of that. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And I forgot to tell you, like, uh, I was like, uh, I hadn't, I hadn't printed in a while, mm-hmm. so I had a, my resin bottle. And apparently, I over tightened it a little bit too much the last time I put the top on. Okay, I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't either. Okay, uh, but I uh, went to shake it, and the very top of the bottle just broke open, and resin went all over me and on the floor. Oh wow! Yeah. So, so if you over tighten it, it cracks the seal. Maybe. Yeah. Basically, oh. you could see that it, like it cracked, made a little crack, and then whatever they like the resin you could see it eating away from it a little bit this is why when i'm at home i'm constantly in a jumpsuit just in case yeah i yeah my the big scientific goggles oh yeah 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 frequently wearing a helmet too it's important but yeah um that was that was fun because that was like 11 30 at night or something crazy oh and then it's really fun to clean that stuff up yeah you're like oh yay and yeah it went all over like (laughs) my my uh 3d printed tools like i had just repaired something so all my like uh, allen wrenches and, and all that jazz pliers Ugh. all that stuff was there and it was just like <sighs> yeah that's not great no so, definitely i can understand that yep hmm. so you know we're so when you say cleaned up your hobby space you do mean I not only yeah. decluttered yeah, but then also bit. had to kind of go back and actually but yeah and then i i did shine the, that light a little bit just to kind of well, it hardens up the that, stuff a yeah bit anything that peels away yep that makes sense yeah yeah, that was that's that's my life. That's, All right, that's who I am now. All right, um, well that's fine. <laughs> How about you? Um, well, I uh, let's see. I did a couple of different things. I worked on painting some uh, 3D printed figures, the uh, figures that I bought off of uh, Etsy, and mm-hmm. I worked on doing some of those for a secret project that I won't be able to talk about until like maybe this summer. Um, but I did do some painting on that, and I also worked on not painting but building some plastic terrain, also for a secret project, mm-hmm. which I'll be able to talk about at the end of the month. Um, that was a lot of parts, a lot of parts. Um, <laughs> so I did most of that, that this weekend, just working on that. Um, I also designed, speaking of 3D printing oh, as yeah. well, I designed a cool little, well, I think it's cool, a little, uh, like, tiny electrical box, about yeah. 12 millimeters by about 20 millimeters, roughly. Um, and it's not an actual electrical box. It's just a little chunk no, of resin. It came, out, it came out really nice, yeah. Yeah, I, thank you. It, it was, I, uh, I sculpted it uh, with the idea of then, you know, you can print this STL and then take that little tiny electrical box, and when you're building your own terrain stuff, scratch building or whatever— the problem with scratch-built terrain very frequently is it doesn't have any detail. Mm-hmm. You know, you cut a couple of pieces of foam core and you make a ruined corner of a building. But if you look at actual buildings out in the world, they are covered with cable boxes, electrical boxes, gas mains, all kinds of weird junk, yep. vents for no reason, mm-hmm. chimneys, all kinds of crap all over the place. And if you don't put that on your terrain, then your terrain kind of just looks not real. So right. I, I want to start sculpting things like that. And so I started using, well, I tried starting to figure out Blender. And Blender is more than I currently need for my little, 
like non-organic yeah. shapes. I was looking, say, you like, know, like, yeah. yeah, it's really for organic. Like, like if you're trying to sculpt a skeleton or a person or a monster, a great. bird, or yeah. a bird. Uh, but if you're trying to sculpt a little box that you glue to the side yeah. of a building, it's um, way more than you need, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so I instead used Tinkercad, which you can find at tinkercad.com, hashtag not an ad, uh, because it's free. And um, I love Tinkercad. Yeah, it's all. It actually it works in your browser, so you don't even have to like download software. It's just mm-hmm. it's it's in a browser, and it's great for like more simple kind of shapes like this. Mm-hmm. It's got lots of strengths to it, in my opinion. But mm-hmm. it's also one of the things I love is that it also just you can set it and be like. Only allow things to basically snap to one millimeter grid or half millimeter grid or point, you know, two five millimeter grid or yep. even point one, you know, and then you have a lot more control over making sure that things are the right size and stuff like that and things aren't uneven and whatever. And yeah, and there's keyboard well entries so you can make sure. Yeah, you can make oh, yeah. it too. So, yeah, yeah. Yep. For what I was doing, like I messed around with with Blender for a while, uh, like a, a good portion of an afternoon, and I was just like. As a person who's been using graphics software for a quarter of a century, I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Mm. And then, um, and I have used Tinkercad in the past, and I went back to it. And it, of course, they keep updating it to some degree as well. And I just started messing with it, and like literally within half an hour, I had this thing finished and mm-hmm. had, had an STL. So, um, I mean, again, it's it's simple, but it's it's just little effective little things that you know, little griblies you're going to add on to hopefully terrain and stuff like that. So, yeah, I used to think that word was griblet. Griblet. But gribbly makes sounds way better. I've always been, it's, I've always read it as greebly, which is spelled G R E E B L I E, and then an S if it's plural. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's a uh, that that comes from like the world of like yeah uh, uh, Lucas uh, yeah like Lucas Arts and stuff like that. Was, well, yeah. Lucas Films. I mean, films, when they were, yeah. yeah, Lucas Arts was the software. That was the thing. first time I heard it was like Adam Savage talking about exactly, it. and it's all the little extra crap that's stuck on the outside of the Millennium Falcon or the X Wing or the Death Star and all that other stuff, and it was all just parts taken from um, model kits, you know, like World right. War Two. Whatever. Here's you know, a battle tank, but that's a different size. But now this like little radar dish now looks awesome on here. the Millennium Falcon or something. Yeah, that yeah. kind of jazz. So um, yeah, that's how they used to do things. And now, and evidently, there's a couple of like p- shapes. I actually did watch um, uh, Adam Savage talk about this recently with somebody. There's like several shapes which are like holy grail shapes for that. Yes. This. And now they've mo- mo- uh, modeled all of those into 3D, so they can just make as many of them as oh, they want that's and, smart. and just yeah. pop those things. Because yeah, they were like yeah. There's a few like model kits that were like. Anytime anyone could find them, oh, yeah, yeah. them, they were just told to buy them, whatever the cost mm-hmm. was, and bring them back to LucasArts. Well, it's Arts. basically kit bashing. That's where the that's where this term kit yep. bashing came from. You use these different model kits and you bash them together. Yep. Not physically, but you know what I'm saying. So anyway, um, that's a thing. And I also started working last night. I streamed on Twitch, which I do on Monday nights and Friday mornings. And I started working on a new Warcry uh, warband, which are the Gloomspite Gits. Um I'm using models actually, rather than normal Gloomspite gets uh, this this fall, 2021, they released the new Tome of Champions, which is an annual book they put out for Warcry, and in it they released stats for all of the Warhammer Underworlds warbands. So the Warhammer Underworlds kind of board gamey sort of thing that comes mm-hmm. with the different warbands. Now there are stats for all of those. You can use them in Warcry. So I'm using. Yeah, that was a really smart idea. Yeah, that was really good. I was really glad. Now I I'm it. like, ooh, well, I have some Underworld stuff. And exactly. nobody wants to play Underworlds anymore. So, mm. I mean, people do still I mean, play so, it, but not but around here necessarily. Yeah, so yeah, I'm yeah. like, oh, well, maybe I'll try Warcry and just 
I just have to build a couple more guys and I'm all set. Exactly. I've got. Uh, That's how they get you. In the, exactly. No, they're smart. Uh, Gloom Spite gets. Uh, I have. There's a box called. Uh, there's a warband for for Underworlds called Ripa's Snarl Fangs or something like that. And it's mm-hmm. like three goblins riding wolves. Uh, and so I'm using all three of them in that group. And then also there was a box, uh, a warband for Underworlds called Zarbag's Gits. And um, I'm using two squigs, a squig herder, and then two gits, basically, with bows and arrows. Mm. Um, so that's my entire, it's like 995 are you, points are out you of 1,000. all of them at once, or are you doing like just a few? Doing them all at once. It's only eight figures. Okay. Because it's three... It's the three goblins on, on on wolves, and then five gits. Okay. So, but they're all technically all in the same faction because they're all part of the right. groups by gits faction. Yeah, I didn't so, know if yeah. you were painting up like the wolves first or if you were. Mm, no, like they're not. It's unfortunately because originally I was like, oh, I should keep the goblins off of the wolves because mm-hmm. that would be smart, and then I could paint them separately, and then I see how they're put together, and I'm like, oh, that's not a possibility. That's not. Oh, it's like one of those things where like one of their legs is like permanently attached. to Like them. both of their legs are oh, permanently attached, them. and like most of their torso, and then you add on like one extra part that has like an arm that's holding a weapon, sure. and then the head snaps on, and everything else. And I'm like, all right, well, that seems to be the case every time. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll do like a partial build on this mm, one, and then I'm yeah. like, yeah, that it, no. The 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 push together bit uh, figures don't yeah, yeah. They, they don't they don't play they don't you can't do that really, um, but it was fun I, I like I said I I got them all primed up and whatnot and I did a Zenithal prime and then last night's episode I just started by honestly I just started doing a lot of washes on them because I'm using a lot of transparent colors and stuff and mm. I don't want the 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 gits who are in the, like these usually in black robes I don't want their robes to be that black so I'm trying mm. to keep them more like gray and. I don't know. It's it's fun so far. I'm looking forward to it. So, nice. um, uh, and then it did not happen since the last episode, but I will be leaving in a couple of days to go to Boston, or as I've been recently told, it's Boston, uh, yep. which I think I still mispronounced. Make um, sure you need some lobster, exactly. And uh, I'm going there for um, the Penny Arcade Expo, otherwise known as PAX East. Uh, I'm going to be leaving on Thursday morning, early, like flying out of like at seven on the clock. Yeah, I know. So flying out and I'll get there and then I'll be there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then on Sunday sometime in the afternoon, I think I fly back and I should get home late Saturday night or Sunday night. So I'll be there. It's a big, technically it's a video game expo, but uh, they do also have a good amount of tabletop gaming going on there. And um, so yeah, I'll be... And Rain and Hell. Yes, and I'm bringing uh, Rain and Hell because um, one of the... One of the Penny Arcade folks, uh, one of the folks who basically started the whole thing, you got uh, Jerry and Mike, and uh, Jerry on Twitter, we've been chatting back and forth, and also sometimes on Twitch, and he was like, hey, we should get together and play a game at some point, and I'm like, well, I bet you'll be at uh, the Penny Arcade Expo, uh, (laughs) because you are Penny Arcade, and so, uh, yeah. Is he Penny or is he Arcade? I don't know. That's a good question. You should ask. He used to be in a band a long time ago, and they had a song called 1995 Penny. Hmm. Yeah. Like Maybe before they started doing the, car- the the cartoon, I think, or the comic. It's I like mean. Pink Floyd, which one's pink? Exactly. That's a good question as well. Mm. So anyway, that's the hobby. That's what's going on there. Nice. Yay. What kind of, we got any app updates going on? <sighs> oh, so we were talking about this. Um, so Milk Can, which is our nine to fiver mm-hmm. job, um, we are crazy busy all of a sudden. Yes, yes, we are. Um, like I thought we were busy a couple months ago, but that was those were better times. Mm. This is uh, this is insane busy. Um, 
like when you're when you're planning out like okay so i i know i can do this this weekend and this weekend i'm gonna have to do this like for work yeah yeah yeah. you're like you're like uh, it's it's a good problem to have but at the same time it's not overly fun but uh I just, uh, we are hiring interns and uh, staff, mm-hmm. though. We, so we have started the interview process. So mm-hmm. hopefully uh, it gets better soon Yeah. Um, as far as workload. Um, and then, uh, but that has basically put everything that's game for related, like so non-client paying work yeah. uh, on hiatus because, you know, people like to get paid and it's true. have it's their true. jobs and yeah, stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, so... Everything game for related right now is on hiatus um, until we kind of get to a right now like probably this summer or hopefully before that. But I I'm not. It's a it's a crazy world out there right now for yeah. hiring. And yeah, so. no, th- yeah, no. The hiring thing is the biggest issue. Obviously, like we do need a couple more folks, and we're in a situation right now where it's a little. Um, uh, you know, as you've seen by try you know going to a fast food restaurant like. The local Burger King near me uh, closes at four o'clock in the afternoon. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, like it's uh, you know, yeah. yeah. And technical workers are like uh, programmers and stuff are uh, in short supply because they were outsourcing a lot of jobs and that have now no longer been outsourced. So right, right. It's been gobbled up a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I mean, overall, I mean, we're getting some good responses to the uh, to the postings but it's you know even when if you rehired somebody tomorrow it's going to take a little while to get them up to speed and exactly actually covering the load so there's even that whole like onboarding where mm-hmm. you actually it's even more work for a little while because you're having to help out people exactly yeah. so, if you but, just put your head down and do stuff it's fine but you also have yeah. to get somebody else up to speed then it, it, it gives you less time to put your head down but you know two years ago we were uh we were having to uh worry about where our next job was coming from because of the pandemic yeah, yeah. everything got really quiet mm-hmm. so this is a this is a better end of the spectrum but it yeah. is a it is a crazy part of the spectrum yeah so. yeah 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 um let's see so today's topic uh we're talking about world building yes and we're talking about it from a couple different angles frankly in that it is not just like you, know, you, you, you don't just have to be Matthew Mercer that, and you're going to sell your world to uh, Wizards of the Coast for... Right. For some money. Probably some money, some money I bet. I'm, I'm, I'm I sure was, this, I, Probably, probably more do, than a dollar. Yeah, I probably didn't do it for free, um, which is fine. Um, but no, it, like world building can, can, can come into a couple different places. Uh, world building can come into if you are, uh, you know, you, let's say you're a DM. It's hmm. not just for RPGs. World building can be in a lot of different things. But it, most often than not, it is a, it's something that you as the, the DM, the dungeon master, the game master, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it, for an RPG, you know, you can certainly buy books and go, we're just going to follow along here and do this right. uh, dragon, dragon, dragon dragons. no, like the, what's the one? What's the big one? The big uh, dragon age? No, it's for, it's for Dungeons and Dragons, but it's, um. Dragonlance? Dragonlance, thank you. I was like, Dragon Forgotten Spear. Realms. Yep. Yeah, Forgotten Realms as well. So, um, yeah, you could just follow along with one of those, mm-hmm. certainly, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. But there's also a lot of um, game masters that are just like, well, I'm going to make my own thing, or I'm going right. to start from there, and I'm going to jump off and go in yeah, a different direction. There's, yeah, this is my world. and Exactly. But there's also world building in tons of other types of games, and mm-hmm. we're also going to talk a little bit about it from the aspect of being a game designer, you know, mm-hmm. to some degree as well. Yep. 
as in since I've helped to design a game. And so there you, you go. You don't say. No, it's true. Um, so, yeah, with world building, you have it not only just in war games or in, uh, sorry, RPGs, but you also have it in war games and board games and collectible card games even as well. Yeah. But Adam, why is that important? Why is it important? Well, uh, world building really kind of helps you to create like the story for the game. Mm-hmm. And from a more game design aspect, mm-hmm. uh, uh, even commercial aspect, um, players get really attached to lore and story, sometimes referred to as fluff, you know, that kind mm. of thing. Um, you know, games can be very much the same mechanically, but right. you might be very attracted to a specific game because of the way that the story goes and the way that you mm-hmm. get to whatever. I mean, case in point, there are a lot of people out there who are very, very, very attached to the story and the lore of um, Warhammer stuff. Right. Yeah, to the point where I feel like I almost need to explore the lore more so I can understand how to play the game. And you I mean, don't need You don't. I, right, right. You almost feel like you should, so you're like, like when I'm painting up my army, it doesn't. they're not like... <laughs> <laughs> that's not the symbol that you should use. Right, there. exactly. And that's kind of the the issue. Like you see that type of thing in historical wargaming. For example, those people are generally referred to as rivet count rivet counters. Right. And they're like, uh, you know, the pants, Napoleon, the, the, this time of the the, the war, the, the, their forces, the pants weren't gray, they were blue or whatever. Right. Like and none of them wore their sword on the left side because right. Uh, in that year, it wasn't until the following year when left-handed McGee first <laughs> led <laughs> right. their troops across that Good old left-handed McGee that, that it became fashionable to have your sword on either side. <laughs> right? Yeah, and and so you know, and 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 the thing is, is that there is like the world building is not so much a situation in historical games because it's just the world. Like that's the point. Right now, you can of course make alternate history or weird world right. stuff, and that's fine too. But even in the realm of like, like I said, something that's very established, a world building like Games Workshop, for example, you will have people that will say exactly things like, yeah, no, their helmets shouldn't be that color. Or this guy's your, 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 this guy's your sergeant? Well, his helmet should be white then. And right. you didn't paint it white. And you're not doing it right. And you yes. know, even though none of this stuff actually exists. It's all exists, made up and right. stuff. But you didn't, you didn't follow the made up stuff. To exactly. Right so that, you know, and the thing is, is that they have, as a company, Games Workshop has definitely fostered this world building through... Mm-hmm making an entire publishing arm of just like like right. the Black Library just sells novels, hundreds of novels about you know, Warhammer 40,000, uh, Horus Heresy, the Age of Sigmar stuff, like all that jazz. So mm-hmm. people get really invested in that. There are a lot of people right. who are more invested in the story than they are invested in playing the game or building and painting mm-hmm. the models. And if you're like, well, that's weird, uh, take Star Wars or Harry Potter. Exactly. And or again, Dragonlance and Dragon, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's right. plenty of people out there who love those books but don't play D&D, right. you know? So having that kind of world building it really does help to it's it's a hook that that potentially draws in interest from new players, mm-hmm. um, you know, people who are it can, like it can make or break a game mechanic. Yeah, exactly. There's times when I've there's a game and I'm like, and there's a mechanic and I'm like, well, I don't understand that. And then someone will be like, well, in this world because of this and this and this that mm-hmm. you have to do this, and I'm like, oh, okay, that yeah. makes sense, and now yeah. I like it. Or there's times when I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, this mechanic, but why would that, like, but in this mechanic, you know, this doesn't make sense in this world that you would be doing this, so mm-hmm. it just, it, like, jars you in the game. And it, 
And and I, I think I've mentioned it here before, but maybe not. Maybe I've mentioned it on some other thing that I've done. But um, a great example of that, I think, is uh, Bolt Action. Okay. And also Conflict 47, both games by Warlord. Okay. Um, in those games, activation is handled by you reaching into a dice bag and pulling out a die. So mm-hmm. I have six units in my army. You have seven units in yours at this, you know, we're on turn three. Um, you, I throw six dice in the bag. You throw seven dice in the bag. Our dice are separate colors from each other and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we reach into the bag, shake the bag, reach in, pull out a die. Oh, it's one of yours. So you get to activate somebody. Yep. Now that seems when you think about it, very just like illogical. Why am I just digging into a bag and pulling out a die? And this seems like a lot of work. Very random. Stuff. And, it's yeah. random. Well, the game, because it's a game with lots of explosions and shelling and like machine gun fire and all, like, all that creates smoke and dirt up in the air and too much noise, otherwise known as fog of war. Mm-hmm. So you are reacting phase by phase by phase in that game and you, you reach in and now you both find out, oh, I get to go. Okay, cool. And then you reach in again. Oh, I get to go again. And then you guys, and next time you reach in, oh, now you get to go. Mm-hmm. So you're completely about reacting to what's going on because of what's going on around you. Whereas in other games... Um, like the like the thing that we did for Rain and Hell is is basically at the beginning of a turn. If you have five demons left and I have six demons, you roll five d uh, d twelve. I roll six d twelve, and then we put them in order from highest to lowest. And mm-hmm. now we know. Well, at twelve, you get to make a guy go, and then at eleven, I get to make two mm-hmm. guys go because I have two elevens and stuff like that. But we can both see each other's rolls. Right. So because there's not smoke and dirt and all this kind of stuff in the air from the type of combat, it is very like ordered it's ordered but it's random every turn mm. but it's also knowable because i can see yours and you can see mm-hmm. mine and i know okay things are and you know it's like it's like you're being on the on the on the field of this big big basically giant melee fight and you can kind of see how things are going each turn and that gives you the ability to make your decisions for one, your strategy one of my favorite was x-wing was uh mm. on solo so in x-wing your movement it, it, you, you, you plan it ahead you, of time. You kind of an, yeah. You have initiative for your for your movement. Mm-hmm. You, you you all do your you all plan your moves and then you do your moves in, in a specific order it's based off of your pilot skill. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then for shooting, it's reversed. Exactly. So the last so the, person to move is the first person to shoot. Right. The worst pilots have to move before the better pilots, but when it's time to shoot, the better pilots get to shoot before the worst pilots. And they always made sure that Han Solo. Was the last one like for a while there? It might not be that the same minute, but for the initial run back in of the, the game, version one point was Han Solo always was last on movement because then he always shot first. Exactly. Yeah. See. Which so yeah, it, it just as in, like my nerd humor would just tickle every time. Like if Han's... there was no world building behind that game, it was just a regular game with the then people would be like, well, why does this guy always shoot first? Well, right. you know, we know why he always shoots first because yes. of the world building. I mean, yeah, George it, Lucas was wrong. Well, sure, exactly, but like that. <laughs> That's the whole thing, you know. I mean, that's that's um, you know, the lore in not games that you design necessarily, but games that you are running. Let's say again, like Mm -hmm. a a dungeon master or whatever for a role playing game, Um, or maybe even for like a a a wargaming campaign, which starts to lead into RPGs. Mm -hmm. We said at the top that world building is not just for RPGs. That being said. It's mostly for RPGs. It, yeah, you, I mean, it, you have a world building thing going on in Magic without a world, right? Oh yeah, you know, you would not play an RPG without it. You could technically play chess or checkers. I mean, even chess has got like this guy's a rook and this guy's a bishop yeah. or whatever. The checkers doesn't so much. Although you have the king, you know, you king me when right. you get to the other side, whatever. But um, you're not like oh, that we're on the 
field in France. Exactly, in right. 1837. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. The war is drawn. Yes. Tiresome, my love. <laughs> I will be home soon. Yeah, yeah. That's not how checkers works. Could, though. That'd be kind of cool, actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thematic chess. Yes, exactly. But so, uh, but when you are doing this yourself for a game that you are running or something like that, again, it could be a, a role-playing game or even a, a wargaming campaign, the story can be very immersive. Like mm-hmm. having a good story and building a good world can be very immersive and then keep you and your players very uh, interested or invested, you know, mm-hmm. um, in, in it because... As you know, as a person who's played plenty of role-playing games, there's a lot of conversation that goes around like, well, this one time we were doing this and then this happened. And then, you know, yeah. like those stories become legends in the players' minds and you right. tell people about them and like, you know, that kind of stuff. You get a bunch of old RPG folks together sitting around. It's good to eventually, you know, talk about different, you know, old sessions and things right. like that. And they're, and they're way more interesting, but, the, you know, it's kind of like the if you've ever watched the show Red Dwarf, there's a... I think I've mentioned this before. There's mm-hmm. a whole uh, joke where the main kind of dweeb annoying guy, mm-hmm. Remmer, is was a bit risk guy. Played He's risk big into risk, sure. Yeah, because yeah. he thought he was a he thought he should be the next you know general, you know Napoleon, because he was such a you know good natural born leader. Mm-hmm. Even though he never made it past you know the third lieutenant of you know. Fixing garbage disposals. Right, right, right. Um, and and yeah, he goes through a whole story about risk, and it's just well, I rolled a five, and then he rolled a three, and then I rolled a t- <laughs> right, two, yeah, but yeah. he rolled a four. Right, yeah, and it's yeah. like that drives you because there's nothing to it. There's yeah, no I mean, like with a game like Risk, there's the tiniest bit of story, I guess, but not even. Yeah. It's just like oh, well, you know, these countries that we've heard of because they're you know real. Right. Ah, uh, yeah. No, I know what you mean. So, yeah, you get a lot more invested, obviously, in the world building when it is something that you're doing that that keeps you, like, immersion is important, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and even playing a game like a collectible card game, like, you still, you know, each of those cards has got, like, a little kind of story on them, whether it's through the artwork or a little bit of flavor text or mm-hmm. stuff like that, and you know... And you, as you are building your own kind of deck and everything like that, you have these. I think that's the maybe one downside to like the game Keyforge that we've talked about yeah, a bunch of times. You can't. Is that you can't build your deck, which I don't want to build a deck, frankly. Like I don't like the actual action of doing it, but you also don't necessarily get maybe the creative parts. Yeah, and the ownership. Yeah, yeah exactly. The agency own, yeah. of doing it. No, I can say. Yeah, I it can, was fun. Yeah, because sometimes I would build decks just you know like merfolk deck. You sure. Know? Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't maybe the best deck, but it was like thematically really fun. There was a dude that used to come in the local shop, and every single deck he ever had was always just full of undead. Like that's all he ever did. He just only <laughs> did undead, like nothing else. The necromancer. Yeah, yeah, and that was uh, yeah, that was cool. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. So, yeah, the. World building is super important because of all the things that it does to the players, whether it's a game that you are designing that you want to sell or whether it is a game that you want to run, uh, you know, some sort of, Mm -hmm. I don't know, um, war machine or hordes like campaign or whether you want to run um, Lancer RPG and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. You know, like you have all these different possible things and some of them come with stories. Most of them come with stories. But there's also plenty of folks out there who like to play, let's say, a Dungeons & Dragons or any other kind of role-playing game. They like the system that they find, and then they make up everything themselves, and they Mm -hmm. come up with their own thing. And that's also very cool. And the people who play with them get very engaged in it because it becomes, you're you're all group, you know, telling a group story as you build the world. Right. So how do you start 
building a world. Like if you were going to do this, whether it's for your own product or whether it's for mm-hmm. a game you're going to run or I'm, something like that, what do I'm, you what do you do? I'm I'm going to get out my typewriter and I'm going to huddle myself down for five years and come up with the perfect world. Once there was a world. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Uh, yeah, no, I and, and, and design every blade of grass. Yeah, no, I think that's super important. Uh, but if you didn't want to do that, what yeah. would you do instead? Uh, no. So the first thing I, that, like, when I first started, like, DMing or doing any kind of design was I started paying more attention to other people that I respected or their their games or worlds that I liked mm-hmm. and tried to understand why I liked it and, like, what they must have done to, like, figure some stuff out. So, like... Right. You know, like, whether it's Matt Mercer or if it's, you know... Uh, you know, betrayal in the house of Haunted Hill. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's themes and stuff that they did to kind of set the rules and and gar- you know garner stuff that makes me go, oh yeah, I liked how they did this, and I liked how they kind of left this open, or I liked how they kind of tighten, you know, forced you to have to think about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it doesn't have to be just games. You know, books. Uh, you know, lots of books and exactly. And I mean, artwork. A lot of building a world is the same type of thing you might do in a role-playing game let's say again whether it was just a campaign that you were going to run within an existing system or if you were going to completely build your own system that's the same type of thing you would do if you're writing a novel mm-hmm. you know what i mean a lot yeah, of the like, same stuff you think about like stephen king's uh book the shining you know mm-hmm. he's got other books now like uh doctor sleep i mm-hmm. think it was one of them yeah I um, watched the movie. and it's, it's good. in that same world and the reason why you know it's in that same world is because the characters and everything fall this, you know, before they even, you know, explain how the characters are related and all that stuff. It was like, oh, they're they're following the same rules that he established of how things work in that particular world. Right. Rules are important because they keep, again, they're important until they're not. It's one of those situations where mm. it's important to follow rules in, unless there's some sort of really important reason why you want to all of a sudden break those rules. But, you know, it's important. But but breaking the rules in the wrong way can destroy your world. Exactly. That's my point. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I was just listening to a podcast that they were were, were, uh, just uh, comparing and contrasting the first Matrix movie to the the most recent one. Mm -hmm. And it made me think about, you know, there was some stuff there, like, and I was like, yeah, that was how I felt was there was some stuff in the second Matrix movie. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm buying this. But maybe they'll tie it together in the third one and just make it make sense. Right, right. And then they didn't. They did not so much. No, and then, yeah. uh, you know, it just, everything kind of fell apart on me. Uh, Games of Thrones, season eight. Let's, sure. Yeah, yeah. They went from a, a thing where you're like, oh my gosh, all these people, it's like cool for everyone to like dragons right now mm-hmm. to everyone just going, oh my gosh, that was horrible. Yeah. They just ruined that entire thing because they started breaking rules and nobody, it, like everything didn't make sense. Right, exactly. I, it, you know, that's the thing. It's that it having a goal, having a theme um, to the world building that you want to do makes, you know, and you may think that, you know, and your players may just be like, well, the goal is to get a bunch of gold pieces and, mm-hmm. you know, and to kill monsters. And that's fine too. But I think that, especially for world building, like trying to I don't want to say prove a point, but at least come across with like an idea or something like that. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, or, or something that, yeah, you've got to have some kind of like rules, like some kind of defining, you know, when you think about like, so Superman, mm-hmm. the reason why I am not a Superman fan is there really shouldn't be any way that he doesn't win every fight. 
generally, unless they bring the, the kryptonites. Right. So, yeah, they, yeah. yeah, they basically had to come up with the kryptonite as a rule to stop him. But then you're like, but then once he's figured out how to beat that once, and you're like, okay, now he's always. Convinced. And then, and like the, that term by itself now has just become its own term. Like you go, oh, that's, you know, birthday cake, that's my kryptonite. Right. I really shouldn't eat any, you know what I mean? Or whatever. Right. And uh, yeah, that's, it's, it's like Xerox or Kleenex or whatever kind right. of. Right. But having, yeah, like, but then you take someone like Daredevil and, you know, where he's like, okay, he's blind, mm-hmm. but then is able to do this other stuff. And, you know, then you start going, oh, well, how does this work? And how does that work? He could still get an arm cut off or shot in the face or all kinds right. of things. You know what I mean? He might dodge it because he's obviously a lot faster, but yeah, he might on the other hand not. And if it does connect, he's in bad shape. So, so but, but yeah, the finding and like really straining it's sometimes more interesting to me than mm-hmm. you know having everything i like it, there's a fine line between having on a rails where you know right you're it's like you or know painting yourself into a corner like you mentioned yeah, yeah or like uh, you know the difference of like riding you know those uh, antique cars at a at amusement park that, that don't you can't steer or you do can't anything. steer yeah. versus go-karts you right know? yeah yeah but the go karts still need to stay on the track, right? You can't take the go karts and go start driving, you know, just, through the kid area because yeah, yeah, you get thrown out for that. That, from what I understand, allegedly, yeah, yeah allegedly. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, but, I mean that, that that's the thing. Like you, you, if there's no rules and anything can happen at any time, it becomes less of a story, right? There's nothing to drive the plot or the motivation. Structure is important, yeah, and and I think figuring that out. I mean, now again. As any good uh, GM knows, at any given time, you may have to pull something out of your butt. Just mm-hmm. be like, uh, no, actually, this is the way it works now, or whatever the deal is. And that's fine. Nothing right. wrong with that. But if you have a reason why these particular creatures in this world are reviled, uh, then it makes a more interesting story when you have to try to befriend one of them or right. something like that. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. The, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and and to start off with your world building, it can be as simple as just taking your current world and be like, oh, everything works exactly the same as it does now, except, you know, electricity was invented a hundred years before that. Oh, yeah. No, I, or, like you know, any kind of alternate history stuff I think is really interesting. Yeah, or you can be like, stuff. you know, gravity uh, if for some reason is 50% stronger or 50% lighter. Yeah. And just tweaking that and then thinking, okay, if gravity was lighter, what, what would, would that do? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, the, um, oh, there was a game that um, Catalyst Game Labs put out years ago called Leviathans. Okay. And it was basically like alternate history, roughly World War One-ish kind of time, or maybe just before, maybe late 1800s. Mm-hmm. But the idea was that um, at some point we had discovered an element which, when you electrified it, became considerably lighter than air. Mm. So they used it in battleships so okay. that the battleships would just fly. So it was a mm. game of basically big honking flying battleships in mm-hmm. the late 1800s shooting each other with cannons. So everything else was normal. You got cannons and blah, blah, blah. Right, it's just this But one. these boats can fly as long as you put like a, uh, you know, a steam turbine in them and generate electricity. Mm. Yep. And so, you know, that's really cool because we understand like kind of that time you know, everybody mm-hmm. had the big bushy beards and the captains were all wearing those types of hats and all that kind of stuff, you know, yep. or whatever. And you got people running around in those outfits. But you also have giant flying boats. You know right. what I mean? So, yeah, that's that kind of stuff, I think. It's also it's a good way to start is just to take something and then alter it. Um, if you want to go completely start from scratch, then you kind of have to look at everything from the start, big picture. Right. Yeah. 
yeah, if you've got, you're like, okay, we're going to have different gods and different races and, you know, you're going full, you know, token on it. Right. You know, even token had humans still. Yeah, yeah, but exactly. But if you want, you know, if you keep, if you're really going off, you know, then it, but it's going to be harder for somebody to, you know, maybe connect with that too if it's too strange yeah exactly if it's too if you've just gone and decided to design something that's no one's ever seen before people will also kind of be like and i've seen this happen in Mm -hmm. in commercial role-playing game you know development they're like oh we don't use any dwarves or elves or this or that or whatever and everything is completely different i mean people kind of can't um connect with it almost sometimes yeah some people do and they love it but a lot of people are like well but I kind of like dwarves, you know, or whatever. Right. And then that's, yeah, so that's kind of a, diff- a difficulty as well. Um, what you should you, what do you think, well, we kind of talked a little bit about what you shouldn't do. Yeah. Definitely the whole painting yourself into a corner thing. I mean, obviously, again, like I said, if you're ever a game master, you should never be able to paint yourself into a corner because you can always some sort of deus ex machina, whatever, something, figure a way to, to tweak things and change things. It's your right. world. You get to do what you want. Mm-hmm. But still, you know, you should try hard to not do that directly in the story that you're trying to create or in the world that right. you're trying to create. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, you, you don't need to come up with something until it actually matters. Sure. Like if you're like, oh, you know, and... And this, king, you know, there's this kingdom right next door, and they've, you know, if you, if you put so much detail into it, and then you're like, oh, now my players have nowhere to go in this story because I've defined it like where you're like, oh, I, you know, dwarves went have won every battle forever. Mm-hmm. Well, now if you play any character but the dwarves, you're going to lose. Like, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there, there's no defining thing. <laughs> Unless this is the first time it ever happens. Or, and then that you, becomes part right. of the story. But if you do like a prequel thing. Sure, right. Then yeah. you're like, well, they have to lose because they always lost. And Yeah. That, that's, yeah. Now, you're, now your game's really boring. <laughs> sure, exactly. <laughs> Being able to, like, specifically as a GM, you have to be able to think on, on, on the fly. Um, there's tons of jokes and memes out there, of course, of that type of thing. There's, of course, the, the, the Dread Gazebo. That's, that's an important one. The Dread Gazebo. You ever heard the story of the Dread Gazebo? I don't think I have. <laughs> so uh, it's actually it's a it's it's a card in Munchkin. I, I, so I, the I, the GM yeah. was was playing with a group of folks, and um, he says, and you come through, uh, you know, this glade or whatever, and you see a gazebo, and they're all like, uh, like they didn't know what a gazebo was. Okay, a gazebo is like a little little kind of building like a, that's a stand like a standalone, standalone porch. porch kind of yeah exactly yeah. and whatever. But they didn't know that, so they thought a gazebo was maybe some sort of monster or whatever. So uh-huh. they're like casting like you know uh, de- detect <laughs> magic on it. He's like, nope, it's not magic, and it just, they just are freaked out by this because they couldn't see it. Mm. And he's like, it's a gazebo, and they're like, God, I don't. And they're flipping through the monster manual trying to figure out what the hell a gazebo is. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and that's that's the thing. Um, I also saw a joke not too long ago on, on the internet about like guys like the the GM is like, all right, you come around the corner, uh, you know, you come down this alley and you see a warehouse, and one of the players is like, is a warehouse like like a, a person that turns into a house on on the full moon, and he's like DM is like it is now like furiously <laughs> scribbling, <laughs> which makes me laugh. But yes. um, but yeah, so like being able to obviously turn on a dime a little bit in those situations is important. Yeah, I always like the ones where they're like uh, you know. They've got the tome of like all the stuff that you prepared before your de- your oh, yeah. game ses- session, and it's immediately thrown away because they they decided that 
they were not going to go down the train tracks. Oh, exactly. <laughs> and specifically for role-playing games, that's one of the downsides to over-designing your world is your PCs will definitely decide not to pay attention to any of it in some situations, just Murphy's Law. Or yeah, they'll whatever. skip over that. And that's why, yeah, when I was doing it, I, I forget if it was Matt Mercer or another YouTube channel that was talking about DM tips, and it was like, Anytime you name somebody a character or a place or anything, write it down. Yeah, yeah. Because the most obscure person is going to be the one that they come back to. And and sure enough, there was like, I think the bank or something. They wanted to, to like check out something at a bank. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ah, it's called this, you know. And then the next thing I know, like they're going there for daily deposits because they they decide <laughs> to open up an inn and stuff, and like they keep and, going in trying and, to steal the pens, and they're the trying not deal. to get it robbed. And right so, and yeah, now, yeah. it's like a central part of my thing. I'm like, like oh, oh my gosh, is, this is bank world. I've somehow created. Right. Oh my goodness, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, you know, they're trying to make sure they're following general accounting practices. And, oh, yeah, no, I mean, you got that's all important stuff. Like, aren't we supposed to go clear out a bunch of goblins out of a hole somewhere? Like, no, 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 banking, man. But thank goodness I remembered the name because I wrote it down. Yeah, because you got to write it down. No, that totally makes sense. Like, the world, there's parts of the world that you will think are like, eh, they're not that important. And then your PCs will think differently, yeah. Yeah, they'll be like, oh, what? Yeah. (laughs) What does this rock mean that's sitting here on the (laughs) ground? Exactly. We have to destroy the gazebo. <laughs> so, yeah, world building is is very important, not just from, uh, like I said, a role-playing aspect, if you're playing role-playing games, but also in attracting people to your game if you're mm-hmm. designing a game. Um, there are probably games that you play that you play because you thought the world was cool, and then it actually mm-hmm. got you in the door, and then, you know, butts and seats, and then you started playing it, and now it's a game that you enjoy quite a bit. So it's something to think about, and again, not just from a game design aspect, but also from if you're going to be running a campaign for a role-playing, or uh, sorry, a uh, well, for a role-playing game as well, but like even for a war game, if you're going to mm-hmm. be like, you know, we're going to play this game that does not have much of a lore or a fluff behind it, or we're going to take the lore or fluff from a well-known game and tweak it and make our own thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what yeah, the well, narrative campaign is about. It's about right. telling a why story. Why are they fighting? And exactly. What brought the, yeah. Exactly. Why do, why do these characters all wear red? Yeah. Why do they all dress stupid? Because a lot of them do. It's just, that's the way war games work. <laughs> Well, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Game 4 Podcast. If you've got questions or comments and you're watching on YouTube, please leave a comment below. If you're listening via your favorite podcast player or just aren't into the whole YouTube comment section thing, then you can feel free to reach out to us via email at podcast at imgame4.com. You can also keep up to date with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check out our website at www.imgame4.com. That is www.iamgameforcom Thanks. Thanks.